the supernatural is real, and eventually, it all leads back to one place, Christianity. We're going to take a deep dive into the best encounters and experiences of the last year of this podcast, as well as feature one brand new experience. All that and more on this best of one year anniversary edition of Spirit Answers Podcast. Well, Taya, thank you so much for joining us on Spirit Answers Podcast. Um, you're welcome. Nice to be here. <laughs> you have uh, an incredible encounter story with God, one that's both supernatural and very comforting. Um, and I don't want to give too much of it away, so I will just let you share your story. What happened? Um, yeah, so uh, it all kind of started when I was like, 14 years old I think it was 2013 um when I was really young uh I kind of fell and I hurt my leg and I the way that I fell like uh, I thought I like bruised the front of my leg so I didn't really think anything of it for a while and then after a while like a knot kind of appeared on my leg and uh so then I was like, hey, you know, I should probably pay attention to that. And so a few weeks later, it just kind of seemed to get bigger. And then I was like, hmm, that don't seem right. And then I went and I talked to my mom about it. She was like, yeah, that's not okay. So she took me to the doctor the next day, actually. And um, they diagnosed me like soon after with osteosarcoma a couple weeks later. And so about a month after my diagnosis, they started the treatment. It was a, let's see, probably like, it was a three months long chemo treatment. And then after the three months, they wanted me to have a leg reconstruction surgery where they took out the bone and the cancer. And, and real quick too, I mean, that's, that's incredible. Um, I, what, what is that diagnosis? Uh, I, and I, I would repeat it, but I would, I would definitely butcher that name. What, can you kind of just, <laughs> just give us a brief understanding? Yes. What, what, uh, what does that mean? Osteosarcoma. I, I don't think about the fact that other people don't know what that means just because it's been a part of my life for so long, Sure. but, um, osteosarcoma is a bone cancer in the leg. Wow. So, yeah, I ended up with the knot the size of a softball, about a softball size knot on my leg. Uh, it was right below the knee in the location area. I was going to ask you, so was this, um, was this a result then of that fall? Yes, uh, I fell and the impact of the fall actually triggered the cancer cells that are naturally in your body like everyone has natural occurring cancer cells in their body and for some reason when I fail it triggered it and usually uh, osteosarcoma is diagnosed in people who play lots of sports or like do cheerleading um, or football and stuff like that because they're getting hit a lot they're falling a lot and that impact ends up triggering it 
but for me it was just kind of um an unlucky day where I just fell and smacked my leg on the gravel wow <laughs> but um yeah so that was where it kind of all started and then after so it was three months of chemo and then the leg reconstructive surgery where they actually removed my bone from mid thigh to above the ankle so I have like a whole fake knee and then two rods that go like down into my ankle and up into like the upper thigh area wow so it's it was definitely a journey trying to relearn to walk. So that was probably my one of the hardest things that I had to go through in the process is just learning to walk again. But um, so that's kind of, oh yeah. After the leg reconstructive surgery, I had another nine months of chemo just to make sure that all of the cancer cells had been um, fully removed by the chemo. So it ended up being more of like a two-year process in all with all of the um, recovery in between. And how old were you again? I was 14. And I think I was about 16 when it all ended. If I'm remembering correctly, I don't have the greatest memory due to all the medications that I was on, but I think I'm remembering that correctly. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's already a tough period, I think, you know, 14 to 16 without going through this type of ordeal. I'm sure that was a really, really challenging couple years. Yeah, so that was kind of like, it was definitely not easy for me. Um, I had my ups and downs. I was really sick. I went through a lot of um, depression and stuff through it, um, anxiety. And I was in denial about it as well. Like when I, when my mom realized that I was going through a state of depression, she had gone and talked to the doctors about it and was like, Hey, you know, we should probably get her on some medication. And I just remember being like, you don't know what you're talking about. Like I'm fine. And I told the doctors, there's nothing wrong with me. I'm fine because I was in that denial state of, I don't want to be diagnosed with depression. Like there's nothing wrong with me. (laughs) But um, after, after that state um, of denial, I eventually was like, well, yeah, you know, maybe I do need help. (laughs) So, cause I lashed out at my mom a few times over it, but then she was like, okay, yeah or she, I was like, okay, yeah, maybe I should, you know, seek help. Mm-hmm. And so I did, and I ended up going to some different therapies and stuff like that. And then all of the depression and stuff was like leveled out. So there was, that, that was a something that I had to overcome. And then there was also the, my weight struggle. So like, um, a very lot person as is only weigh like 96 pounds wet. <laughs> so like naturally I'm lot. And then I lost 30 pounds. 
Wow. In the start of my process. So I actually ended up 70 pounds. Wow. As a teenager. And they were like, we are going to have to do something. So I ended up having to have feeding tubes that like go down the nose, you know, but that ended up being one of those trial and error things because I kept like, this is a little graphic, but I kept like vomiting them up because I was nauseous all the time due to the chemo. So I would vomit it up and then they would have to remove it and replace it. And they did that so many times that I finally was like, I can't do this anymore. Like I just, I can't keep fighting these tubes. And so then they were like, okay, well, let's try something different. And so they were like, we're going to go in surgically and put in a stomach tube around the stomach area. And so they surgically put one in and it ended up saving me like in that sense of where I was just withering away into nothing um they would feed me daily and then on top of that I was on a medication to help me eat more as well to give me um more of an appetite so I was eating on top of already having two to three meals a day through the tube so I was eating like double the amount that you're normally supposed to. And I ended up gaining all that weight back. So that was another one of those struggles and trials that I went through during that. But I think the, the biggest one of all was definitely um, out of nowhere. It was very spring, like spring the moment kind of situation. So I had had my chemo chemotherapy for the week I had gone home and I was just chilling because at this time I had gotten used to the chemo and it wasn't affecting me as hard and as harsh so I was able to go home and like hang out with my family and so I'm just chilling laying on my pull-out couch because that's what I had to do because I was unable to sit properly with my leg surgery so I was always laying in a bed. So we had the pull-out couch in the living room. So I didn't have to stay in bed in my room all the time. And I was like, you know what? I have a really bad headache. So I told my mom, hey, I have a really bad headache. And she was like, well, let me check your temperature. Because they say that if, you know, the doctors had told her if I ended up with a headache to check my temperature first thing because it could be a sign of a temp a high temp and so she did she came and she checked my um my temp and it was like I think it was like 104 or something like that it was really 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 high so they had to like rush me to the hospital I can't remember I want to say it was by ambulance because obviously my temp was so high I don't have the greatest memory from it so I, I just remember when we got to the hospital I was like hey we got here really fast you know and so they rushed me up to the top floor and I was like wow they're getting me in really fast that's weird it usually takes forever I don't know why they're in such a rush you know because obviously as a kid they don't tell you everything they don't tell you everything that's going on 
And so like everyone seen that there was something wrong and they were like rushing me to um, the places that I needed to be. And so the eighth floor was the child chemo floor. So they rushed me up to the eighth floor of the hospital and I was just in a room like I normally would be if I was getting my chemotherapy or something. And the nurse comes in as usual and checks my um, blood pressure and my like temperature and all that stuff as usual. And to me, everything just seemed normal until the nurse put the cuff on my arm took my um, blood pressure and looked at me and she was like, I was just sitting there having a conversation with her casually, like laughing, goofing off, being my normal goofy self because that's how it was when I was a kid. And then um, she looks at me and she was like really confused. And I was like, what? And she was like, I don't think this is rot. I'm going to check your um, blood pressure one more time. And I was like, okay, yeah, that's fine. And um, she put the cuff back on the arm and restarted the thing, the pump or whatever it was called. I really don't know all the terms for that, but the, um, the blood pressure pump thing. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, what is that called? <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I'm right there with you. I can't, I, I couldn't tell you. <laughs> I have a lot of uh, I have no knowledge idea. here. But she put the, the blood pressure cuff on me right. and she started it. And then she was like, okay, yeah, it, it's still showing 20 over 30. And I don't know if you know anything about blood pressure, but I think a normal blood pressure is supposed to be like 70 over 90 or like 80 to 100. Yeah, like 80 over 100. So that's like a normal and mine was 20 over 30. Wow. And so like she instantly got this panicked look on her face. And I was just like, like, what's going on, you know, and so I'm just still casually conversating or conversating. That's not a word conversing, casually conversing with like my mom and the nurses and stuff as they're rushing me to ICU. Um, and I get to ICU and I'm just sitting there talking to my mom, cracking jokes with the nurses like I usually do. Um, and they were giving me plasma and plasma when they're putting it in the like in your body through IV and stuff, the way that it looks, it like bubbles up real bad in the, um, the container that it's in. And so I just look at the nurse and I'm like, haha, look, it looks like dish soap. <laughs> I don't know why that's like one of my very intense memories. I just remember looking at the nurse and like, Hey, that looks like dish soap. That looks funny to me, you know? And I was like, why are they putting dish soap in me? You know, I was young and I didn't really understand everything. So, and then my mom's sitting there on the side of my bed and she's like, just holding my hands and I'm just sitting there talking to her and she looks concerned and, they take her out and she leaves the room for a second. And um, my mom told me later on that they took her outside and they were telling her to prepare for the worst because they didn't know if I was gonna make it. And so she comes back in and she sits down 
and she's just like you know hey you know just rest and relax and just stay awake for me girl just you know keep pushing you know and and I'm just sitting here like hey <laughs> I really gotta use the bathroom <laughs> so I, I was like sitting there all I could think about was I really gotta go to the bathroom so I look at her and I'm like hey mama I have to go like now and she was like really like right now you can't wait I was like please I really have to go to the bathroom she was like okay just and she looked at the nurse she was like can she go to the bathroom and like still at this point in time I'm still like 20 over over 40 like I'm still in like coma state I'm not supposed to be talking to people and responsive and completely aware of everything that's going on and so she's like looking at the nurses asking the nurses hey can she go to the bathroom and they were like yeah you know just let her go if she if she thinks she can go um if you want to help her you can help her and I was like I don't need help I'm fine <laughs> like I can get up and go to the bathroom by myself and like I know that's like you know, not something that you would usually like bring up in one of these types of stories. But to me, like that was a miracle for me to be able to just stand up and go to the bathroom when I was sitting there on death's door. <laughs> no kidding. I didn't wow. know it, but everyone else knew it, you know. And so they're just like, hey, okay. You know, if you can do it, you can do it. So I got up. And I walked to the bathroom and I used the bathroom and then I walked back and I laid back down and I'm, and they're all just like looking at me with this like shocked look, like, well, what's going on? And I'm just like, what? And they're just like, nothing. <laughs> like, Cause they didn't want to say anything to me. <laughs> and, um, so I'm just sitting there chilling and I'm kind of getting tired because like it had been a really long night and it was probably like 4am at this point. I'm just so tired. My eyes are getting heavy. And I'm like, I really want to go to sleep, but I don't need to go to sleep. And so I was like, I fought in it. And uh, then in my head, I started to hear this really loud voice saying, hey, keep your eyes open. Stay awake. Stay aware stay awake I was just like listening to that voice and I was like okay yeah I'll stay awake I'll, I'll keep my eyes open don't go to sleep <laughs> you know so I'm like listening listening and fought in the sleep because all I want to do is just go to sleep but for some reason the voice in my head just wouldn't let me and so I fought it and fought it until finally later on they come in and they're like well um her blood pressure is starting to level out a bit you know um her temperatures dropped she's fine to go back up to the eighth floor and she doesn't have to be in ICU anymore and that you know that was the turning point and from that point on I was like you know what like with that with like looking back after everyone told me everything that was going on, like they didn't tell me in that moment. It's one of those things that I didn't notice in the moment that it was 
a God thing because I was too young to understand. I was too young to understand that I was dying and that that was going to be the end. But years later, my mom told me, hey, you know that day they were telling me outside that you were going to die and that that was going to be your last moments on earth. And then I looked back and I was like, whoa. So wait a minute, that voice wasn't just my thoughts. Like when I think back to the voice, that voice that was in my head wasn't me. It was a male voice. And in my mind, that was God's voice. That was the Lord telling me, hey, you know, keep kicking because you got this. And to me, like, that's all I can ever think about. Anytime that I'm struggling, anytime that I'm like, hey, you know, like, what's going on in life? Like, why is life so hard? I just think back to that moment of like, hey, God's looking out for me. God's looking out for each and every one of us in different ways. And like, even though we're struggling, even though we're going through all of these trials in in life, it's not going to be the end of the world. Like, you can get through it. And I struggle a lot still to this day with depression and anxiety and all kinds of like long-term effects from the chemo that I've went through. But, and sometimes like I still am like, why, why did I survive? Because I still don't understand like why, you know, God keeps me on this earth, but I got to just think like he has me here for a reason or he would not have done the things that he has done for me in the past so i just hold on to that every day so yeah. wow yeah it's a little bit of a all over the place kind of story but hopefully you know it made some sort of sense <laughs> yeah no definitely this this is the it might not make sense to certain people, but for me and everyone listening, it makes total sense. So yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. And, um, and I love the way that you put it, which was, um, well, a couple parts there. One being that you recognize all this time later that that was not your voice. It was a male voice, even though I'm sure with everything that you were going through at the time, it was really hard to, to put you know, two and two together and understand exactly what was going on. But you recognize mm-hmm. now that there was a supernatural component to this and how amazing yeah, that definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And how amazing that uh, in and of itself is. But then you, you shared with us what's going on behind the supernatural part of it, which is the relational part and how not only in that moment was that an incredibly um, sounds like comforting and, um, helpful experience that you had just to tell, like you said, telling you to keep on going and, and don't give up, but that you can still use that all this time later uh, in the difficult moments that you've since encountered. Um, and, and you can yeah. recognize that there's, there is a, a greater plan at work here and, and you are being guided. I think that is just so, Definitely. so cool. Yeah. So, so beautiful. Um, yeah anytime that you know I ever question things like I always go back to that moment and there's just no denying it there's no denying that 
God is here and he's protecting us, mm. you know? So, yeah. Wow. I'll tell you, I, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to share this testimony with us. And, uh, just so thankful that there's, cause I know you, you shared with me before that you've been able to share this with, with some people, um, just in your day-to-day life, but to, for God to be able to create a platform that you can get this out to more people. Um, just so thankful for that. And, uh, just again, mm-hmm. what a beautiful, comforting story. I mean, it's just crazy to think that there is a purpose for me here or that wouldn't have happened. So I just hold on to that always, you know? So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I know that, you know, you know, it was comforting for you and, and I'm sure will be comfort comforting for many others as well. So thank you again for, oh, for joining yes, us. I sure do hope. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I know. Well, so that, yeah, thank you again for, for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Uh, thank you for having me. Sherry had an incredible encounter with Jesus where he appeared to her in a way that she would understand. From what I understand, when Jesus showed himself to you, it was in a way that you uh, could comprehend. Mm, exactly. This this to me was incredible. How, of course, wise uh, God is to appear because there's so many people that had experiences of seeing him, but, but uh, each each experience is different. So he appeared to me as a Jew because he knew that would be the safest thing. First of all, he's a Jew, right? Of course. But he didn't appear to me uh, crucified on a cross in a Catholic church, because if I had seen that, I would, I wouldn't respond to this vision. He came to me in a way that is familiar to me, wrapped in a talit, which is a prayer shawl of the Jews. And even his sandals were the ones that we learned about in kindergarten, <laughs> like mm-hmm. the ones that Moses wore. I mean, I saw that and I knew I was home. Hey everybody, just a real quick check-in to remind you to submit your testimony to be one of the guests that's featured on this podcast. Whether you're listening to this on a podcast app or watching this on YouTube, you can find the email address to submit your video testimony or written testimony, or perhaps even recommend someone else's testimony in the description below. Again, I really appreciate all you do to support the podcast and thank you so much for your support throughout the last year. I hope you enjoy the rest of the episode. I'm like, just pray for me. I don't know. In episode 41, we featured another encounter with Jesus on the podcast when Valeria found out the deceptive nature of ayahuasca and everything that she was involved with from the New Age, including the Egyptian god Thoth, disappeared before her encounter with God. Something's going to happen tomorrow. <laughs> so it all started. I drank the, you know, I had a drink, the ayahuasca. I lay down and I'm just waiting the same sort of like, you know, process because it usually was like a process. It sort of started, I didn't know it was happening, it was happening. And then I started like going through a bit of a dark journey and then, and then, bam, I was showing all the beauty and in all this, and you know, I was interested in all these like journeys. I was shown things like, you know, the Indian Americans that they were playing and then showing me the fly of the eagle. And it's like, it, and it was it was show me like in a in a like in a mantra like focus focus release and fly high and it was insanely crazy beautiful so when I was working out that in one of those in, in a previous ayahuasca ceremony I remember like seeing this massive snake that came it was a massive head of the, the darkest 
snake I could have even seen, but it was so dark, it was, it was um, so enticing, and it was calling me, and it was calling me, and I'm going, and I'm feeling, you know, the passion that you feel when you're, you know, experiencing sex, and it's just endless. It's just, it's just like an addiction. So in that moment, I could hear the word Artemisa, Artemisa. And then it was like this, I don't know, I was somehow very connected to the Indian, you know, American, the Native Americans. So they telling me, call Artemisa, call Artemisa. And then I'm like calling Artemisa. And it's like, Artemisa, and it will go away. It's like, Artemisa, and go away. And I will go back into focus and, you know, alignment and everything. So it was all the same, same things that I was told and I was seeing there. That's why it just felt so legit. So I was experiencing the spiritual world and the craziness that is out there. So um, after that, um, pretty much I, so I was expecting that, you know, I was in a, in a journey. I'm expecting to see all these things and the thoughts and the, the, the lessons. And, and suddenly <laughs> I started feeling the darkness and all the things that felt like were nice before it felt like I'm like what am I doing here this is horrible and the first idea was like these are these are demons they're they're demons they're like and I felt so so frightened and I'm thinking please I just want to see the things that I used to see where are they where are they and then I feel the presence of the most almighty thing you could ever think think of or feel and I suddenly felt I was on my knees and I could only see his, I could, so I, no, no, I couldn't see his, uh, yeah, I could only see his feet. I could see his feet, like in his robe on the back. And I know it's Jesus. Wow. Jesus is here. And suddenly the word saying, deceived, deceived, deceived. And it was coming like deceived, deceived. And all the images of everything I've been doing came past, like just like in a movie, through my eyes, deceived, and bang, thought comes up like that, standing right in front of me. It's like deceived. Wow. I was like, yeah, it was. I was like, I felt like I wanted to, you know, like I was like crunching, thinking, oh, everything I held onto so tightly how how can I be like how was I deceived like how can this be wrong and then Jesus is there he was there I couldn't see his face it was him his presence and he was pretty much just saying he I suddenly he saw his feet and just by looking at his feet it was like the understanding of who he was like his walk is is the, the, the real walk humble and I could see his feet with you know the sandals and the sandals they just told me everything about him he's a humble man he's the way he is the way you follow me and then he was like you follow me you walk with me along with me and I'll show you and I'll reveal with you the things that you need to know as we walk together and he's like no none of this leave it outside doesn't matter in my question I was like how is that bad like because I was just struggling to renounce it all and I'm thinking how is all this bad and he's telling me money money and I thought okay yeah that healing is free healing through Jesus is free like this is money and then I started seeing the link 
like taught with the Native Americans, with the Mayas and everything was just showing me, it was just too much. And then suddenly I see his hand and I see the nail being like, you know, hit on in his hand and his blood splashes on me. And he says, you're covered now in my blood. Become my blood now with you. It was, yeah, that was it. That was, after that, I saw it and I, I was sold. I was, for me, that was, that was it. It was like, that's it. What am I doing here? I know Jesus and, and he did it like that. He showed me everything. His presence was like almighty and, and it finished. It was like this, bang, like we couldn't stop to a movie. And I was out of the journey early. When it used to last like seven hours, eight hours, I was out of there like in two, three hours, I think. There needs to be a word that explains to be fully known. Some encounters with Jesus, of course, come by way of near-death experiences, such as the case for Wendy, who back in episode 11 shared her near-death experience where she had a life review of her own life, as well as given the opportunity to witness Jesus's life, both on planet Earth and before he got to earth while he was in heaven or a runaway or you know living with pedophile to pedophile to pedophile i had so many secrets mm -hmm. and all of a sudden i'm at the feet of what i'm sure is jesus and i'm loved even though he knows my darkest secrets and i'm loved at a level that you cannot fathom with your earthly brain I, there's just no words i wish i could describe it Wow. Wow. And on earth, we use our five senses to, to discern everything. Right. Right. But in heaven, you use your soul. Um, lots of, uh, lots of spiritual people don't walk with God, God would call it their sixth sense, which, um, but I'm telling you, that's the voice of God. That's your soul. That's the Holy spirit talking to you. And that's where you perceive everything. And in heaven, everything's alive. I knew the meaning of every molecule around me. I had the answers I'd been seeking my whole life. I didn't even have to ask them. All of a sudden, my brain was firing at a level that it had never fired at. Wow. That's incredible. And I've heard this happen this several times from other people that have had uh, a similar encounter on the other side with Jesus. It, it's almost like this experience is more real than life itself. That right? Yeah, yeah. In my book, I discuss that. It's um, trying to explain heaven, which to me is far more real than earth. Earth now feels like a nightmare. When you get to heaven, you're like, "Oh, thank God, it was just a nightmare. It wasn't real. This is forever. That's temporary. This, the world we live in now, is disposable. It, wow. it, it we live in a disposable society of self-seeking, self-loving, um, narcissism, self selfishness. And, and I was leading the parade on the other side of heaven. And I understand as well when it comes to what happens in, in, in your time on the other side, it wasn't only this incredible experience of love and being known, but there's a process, I'm not sure if we're there yet, where Jesus shows you your life and shows you the different parts of your life where you could have done more to glorify him. Absolutely. So I believe if you're to put my heaven encounter in a nutshell, it would be the refiner's fire. I believe that what happened to me 
will happen to everybody saved or not saved. You could be a Satanist. You're still going to be at the feet of Jesus one day. And your experience will be very similar to mine. Whereas uh, when I finally opened my eyes, I couldn't look at I couldn't look at Jesus's face. The hole in his feet is just huge. I couldn't even look at his face because I wasn't worthy because it was me that put that hole there. And I was so ashamed because, you know, have you ever been on a road trip or a long drive and you arrive at your destination and you're like, wow, I don't even remember the drive. It went by so fast. I don't oh, yeah. remember any of the landmarks. Okay, well, that's what it feels like when you get to heaven. You're like, whoa, 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 wait, wait. What did I do with my 28 years? Holy cow, I did, what did I do? Oh my goodness, what did I do? It just like went by so fast. And then um, I realized I was at Jesus' feet and I just buried my head in his gown and just sobbed. And he lifted my chin lovingly and he said, see. And the next thing I knew, I'm watching my parents date. I'm watching their childhood. Wow. I'm watching them date. I'm, wa I'm seeing them both be beaten up and broken down so that God could make them the perfect puzzle piece to fit together to become one with him. And it was beautiful. And then I watched them count my little fingers and toes as I was born. I, I got to see all of it. And then I walked through every day of my life. But um, and it didn't seem like it was in fast forward. It didn't seem like a highlight reel. It seemed like every day of my life, except I knew the truth now. I knew that heaven was real. And so every time I saw an opportunity to share Jesus, which I now knew wasn't a coincidence, there's no such thing as coincidence, I just grew more and more ashamed. Like, God, what is wrong with me? I mean, I felt like the world's biggest narcissist. It was like, how could I just continue to fail and fail and fail? And at the end of it, I was just beside myself with how could I have so deceived? How could I have really believed that I was giving my all to Jesus when I don't even remember half the stuff I did? It just went by so quick. So when God took me, when Jesus took me through my life the second time, and I was seeing things through his eyes, it was amazing watching myself be created with so much love and purpose. And the things, like I said, that I, I had always disliked about myself were actually things that were meant to be blessings to me and my character. It, it was amazing. And how much they they enjoyed all of the things they were putting in me and i know that goes for everybody you know i've always hated how loud i am but god loves it he made me loud on purpose that just blows my mind mm -hmm. but then it got even better mm -hmm. and jesus again grabbed my chin and he said child see and i'm still on my knees at his feet and the next thing i know i'm watching heaven um, pray and grieve as Jesus is getting prepared to come into the world. And they, they were so sad for what he was going to have to experience. It, you know, it, it, it was really hard and Jesus wanted to do it, but, but he knew it was going to be hard. And 
watching him choose to leave after being there, I couldn't fathom anything harder in the in the world. And I'd had a pretty um, hard life. And in a, a lot of times, I also had a good life, but a lot of times it was really hard. And, and I couldn't fathom leaving this place. And Jesus never sinned. Why should he have to leave? It was so powerful, the depth of love that he and the Father and the Holy Spirit felt and how it grieved them that he was doing this, but they all knew it was the only way, the only way for us to to be with them for eternity. And then I was there when Jesus was born. I was back on earth and I walked through every day of Jesus's life. I got to wow. see them. I got to see what people don't get to see what's not in the Bible. And it was amazing. And his first miracle that was recorded was water into wine. But I got to watch him resurrect little birds. I got to watch him do amazing things. And the thing that astounded me the most was in our society, in our culture right now, it's very easy to get information. But it was very different when Jesus was a child. It wasn't like you just log on or or you even go to the library. The children weren't respected in the temples where God's word was being taught. And he was so hungry for it. He was obsessed with learning and memorizing every word of his father. And watching the lengths he had to go to to do that astounded me. I just assumed it was easy and he was just born with all that knowledge, but it wasn't. He was human. He had to, he had to work just like I do to memorize God's word. Put my head down to, to the bottom until it had completely gone. For many people, it isn't their encounter with Jesus or God that brings them into Christianity, or at least not those experiences alone. But there is a seed planting process with their encounters with New Age uh, modalities or with the paranormal that oftentimes open up the thinking for people that there is more to this life than just the physical, such is the case with Lauren, who back in episode 30 shared her many paranormal experiences that set the stage for her coming to truth. You know, when I was real small, two, three years old, so my mom has had to sort of tell me the things that I had told her. Apparently, there was one time that my, my deceased grandmother, her, her mother, had appeared to me in a doorway of light and asked me to come with her or told me to come with her. And of course I didn't go, but knowing what I know now about fairy lore and, and things like that, I definitely make a connection with the spirit world there. I don't think it would have been good at all if I had gone with her. Um, and then things like seeing shadow people, um, I feel like I could go on for days, but um, there was one time that really sticks out in my mind and, and always did. I think I was about five years old and suddenly I woke up in the middle of the night and this shadow figure um, was in my room and started walking towards me and it bent down on its knee, like, um, like on one knee like when somebody's going to propose and folded its hands in prayer in front of my bed and, and bowed its head. And I thought that I was dreaming. So I closed my eyes really tightly and pulled the covers over my head and prayed 
you know, make it go away, make it go away. And I looked and it was still there. And um, so I said, you know, in my mind said, go away. You know, you don't want here. I don't want you here. You're scaring me. And it didn't disappear right away. I'm sure if I had asked Jesus for help, it would have disappeared right away. But, um, you know, I didn't know at the time that you could do that. Um, so it, it got up slowly and the, the energy of it was kind of bewildered a little bit, a little confused, like, why did I want it to go away? And then it sort of took a few steps back and turned around and disappeared. Wow. Um, yeah, that's an event that really sticks out in my mind because it felt very personal, even though I know it was a shadow being, um, it felt like it knew me. It felt like I should know it. And that was a really confusing experience that stuck with me um, through adulthood um, and made me more curious, you know, even more eager to find out where are these things coming from and there were times where I could, I saw a shadow figure out of the corner of my eye and they just always kind of look like they were observing sort of. And um, as, I, as I got older, in my teen years, we moved to a house in South Carolina that was known as the haunted house. <laughs> the first day on the bus, the kids were like, oh, he moved into the haunted house. So, um, you know, that doesn't help when I was already haunted, you know, as a child. Oh, and um, before I go there, my brother and I had a lot of shared experiences. And when we were living in Maryland still, there were these three demons. I, I guess they were demons. We'll call them shadow figures that um, followed us from house to house, actually. And we called them the farmers, me and my brother. Now he's only 13 months younger than I am. So we're very close. We were very close then. And um, we would have the same dream or what we thought was dreams or like I would see them with my eyes and my brother would dream about them or I would dream about them and he would see them. And there were these shadow figures that appeared to be Farmers, like for lack of a better term as children, that's how we identified them. Because even though they were all shadow, we could see they were they were larger shadow figures. We're not talking about like Slender Man type, but um, had bulkier, bulkier figures, the outline of overalls, the outline of straw hats, and they would file into our rooms. We had separate rooms and they would file in one after the other and stand next to the bed and wake you up and stare at you. Um, and then if you had a nightmare about them, they did the same thing and they would scare you in your sleep. And these things followed us all the way till we were teenagers actually um, in South Carolina. And there was one night, I so at this time I was about 16, I think. And, I always slept with my door closed and I was constantly being disturbed by things at night and um, didn't really get good sleep. So I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself with these paranormal stories because at this time, um, 
we, we, my mom and my dad had converted to Christianity, but just briefly, um, since it has to do with the, the shadow figures, um, I had accidentally slept with my door open that night, um, and my brother had the nightmare, and I saw them, and as soon as we meet, met each other in the hall that, uh, that morning, um, we both knew that we had seen them and we, we had a discussion about it. Um, and I think that was the last time that we saw them, but so that's definitely a shared experience. And we've had other, my brother and I have other, have had other shared paranormal experiences so that I'm fairly certain they weren't uh, psychological in nature or just imagined because um, we both saw it at the same time. Um, but going back, to, um, to childhood, I would hear um, disembodied voices call my name. It sounded like my mom, but it wasn't my mom calling me. I would look into the mirror and see a shadow figure standing behind me, um, stuff like that. And um, trying to think if anything else really, it was just so, there's so many ghost stories and paranormal stories that it's hard to, hard to name them all I know I know a common experience that a lot of people have is um feeling like they're being watched in the shower I know a lot of sensitive children have that same experience where they're scared to close their eyes when they're in the shower or the bathtub because it feels like somebody's right there and is going to startle them um that happened quite a bit right I didn't want to close my eyes I didn't want to sleep with the light off um, it just always felt like something was around. Yeah, I really appreciate you bringing up the shared experience, uh, or experiences with your brother, because that is always, you know, some people are always going to ask if this is psychological. And that is a great example of something where I think that you almost have to uh, do more mental gymnastics to believe that this is all psychological when people are having shared experiences than to believe in the spiritual. I think that that's mm -hmm. a really good example of something that lets credence to what you're talking about. And then you talk, you, when you add that to everything else, such as um, what the psychic had told you, mm -hmm. uh, as far as being sensitive, the family background that you have where, where people had uh, had experience or had had um, ties to the occult. And then you take it outside of this, outside of this realm or outside of your story. And you look back, you look at uh, several of the other stories out there that you can find all over the internet of people that have had similar experiences to you and how yeah. people are describing exact same situations as you are, as you are right here. And then saying that when you uh, ask these creatures to go in Jesus name, or you call on Jesus to help you that these beings go just, just like that, that tells me that there, this is, this is something more than just a psychological experience there is something of a spiritual nature going on here and again i think i i think you have to do a lot more uh uh just mental gymnastics overthinking things uh to 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 really uh come to any kind of conclusion that is anything other than the spiritual realm yes because there was there was one um instance that if it was psychological in nature, my brother and I would have had to have the phenomenon known as shared psychosis. And I'm sure that there's a psychologist out there who could, who could debate me on it and say, you know, tell me why that happened. But to me, it makes a lot more sense that what we saw was spiritual in nature. Would you like me to share that story? Please. 
Okay. Um, well, I think that I was 16 and he was 15, I believe. I might have been 15 and 14, but somewhere in that age range. And we had just returned, this, me and him and my mother, our mother, um, from grocery shopping. And we were bringing the groceries in to our haunted house. <laughs> and uh, without having to, you know, I don't want to try to describe the floor plan and stuff, but we were bringing groceries in from the back door into the kitchen. And to get into the kitchen, you have to go into this part of this hallway that goes, leads to the front door and rooms that go off on either side, like the dining room on the right and the um, laundry room and the bathroom on the left. And uh, so we're turning the corner together with these bags in our hands and suddenly from the right side to the left side of the hallway so from the dining room going into the laundry room an apparition walked across the hallway it was it was as real as me or you standing there or walking and so it was striding and it was it looked like it was clutching something to its chest it was wearing a, a black cloak um and tall boots um and it was hard to make out anything else because of the cloak but it had a hood over its head and the cloak come down came down to about its its knees and it wasn't walking on the floor it was walking sort of higher up in the air um mm. but it was you could tell it was sort of on the shorter side my brother and I are pretty tall I'm 5'10 and he's 6'4 6'5 so to us, it was kind of on the shorter side, I would say maybe five, 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 seven, maybe. And um, it strode across just clear as day. And it wasn't scary or anything. Like, um, I feel like some apparitions intentionally try to scare you. It didn't seem that way. It didn't seem, it was just an anomaly. Just like we saw something we weren't supposed to see. And it didn't pay any attention to us. It looked like it was going somewhere. It was on a mission. And we looked at each other. I said, did you see that? He said, I saw that. And then as literally seconds later, as we're standing there, it went back the other way. It went from the laundry room back into the dining room. Wow. Yeah. hundred percent for sure. We both saw it. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's really, really fascinating, because I think, like you said, a lot of times these things will intentionally try to scare you. Uh, but in this particular case, it seems like it was just there. Uh, as we know about the enemy, he tries to cause confusion and chaos. So yeah. seeing something like this, I think just probably further lend, uh, lended credence to your understanding that, yes, there is a spiritual world going on and perhaps even subconsciously helped you believe in the idea of like, you know, ghosts and people being trapped and those types of things. Um, because that's, mm -hmm. uh, we understand that that's what the enemy's trying to do. He's not, he obviously hates us. He'll do anything he can to, uh, hurt us and, uh, scare us, but he's also here to attack our mind. And this is a perfect example of that by just, uh, causing confusion as well, uh, with something like this. And we see this a lot, uh, with, uh, ghosts, ghost hunters, ghost invest mm -hmm. investigators, people that are caught in trying to investigate this exact type of phenomena. Sometimes, unfortunately, they get trapped in that for decades. Uh, so yeah, absolutely. Just, just incredible. And again, lending further credence to this being much more than psychological. 
more likely happening than what you thought before. Speaking of ghosts, that's actually one of the most common ways that demons can deceive people into believing that there is no heaven or hell and also helps plant seeds that Christianity is not valid. Listen to this excerpt from back in episode 18 where former ghost hunter Dana Emanuel describes an encounter that a man had with what he thought was the ghost of a little girl but ended up having an absolutely horrifying encounter with a demon. That we went to, uh, but what happened was the man that lives in the house, so when I say man, he was probably about like 19 years old. He was a young man, but he, he was always at this house with the girl. They were like best friends. And um, I, I'm pretty sure he lived there. If not, they were like best friends. He was always there. But he was getting thrown, you know, like thrown up against the wall and thrown up against the refrigerator. You know, I heard that one too. But he was get this entity was was violent with him. And so one time when it threw him, uh, it hurt his back. So he went to the hospital. And when he went to the hospital, the doctor, you know, when he told the doctor what happened, the doctor sent him to circles of care which here in, in Florida, it's a place that uh, it's a mental, a mental uh, institution. And uh, so anyway, it was for observation and evaluation. So while he was there and uh, he had told the nurse there what happened, well, the nurse actually was also uh, into the paranormal. Well, she believed him. So she went ahead and she contacted a friend of mine, which was also that this other lady had her own group also. So she called and she asked if we could take the case because she had so many cases. She didn't have time to, to do this one too. And so I said, oh, sure, you know, especially knowing that it was uh, physical attacks. I mean, I know it sounds crazy, but a lot of investigators like to get those cases. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Uh, they feel like it's more paranormal activity is going to happen and all this. So we like to get the more severe cases. So we, we, the man got out of the circles of care the next week. So we had set it up to go that next week. Well, when we, when we went there, uh, a lot of the EVPs we got was nasty EVPs. Um, you, actually that happened at the pre preliminary investigation. We went there just to ask questions before, um, this, before we went there for the, the, uh, the, the big investigation. So anyway, we got a lot of nasty EVPs and stuff. So we were a little bit worried, you know, like, oh boy, what's going to happen, you know? So uh, actually one of the uh, members went to uh, a Catholic church and talked to the priest there and asked, you know, well, what should we do to make sure that we're safe and all this? Well, he gave her a bottle of holy water, you know? So, uh, so anyway, we took that with us too. And of course I had my little, my little, uh, spiritual clean cleaning um uh case and it had sage in it and rosary rosary beads um all this and i'm not even catholic but you, you know that's how it works so anyway i took all these things with us and so when we first got there we're walking around and we're we're putting this water and we're over the doors and praying over the doors and everything and and so actually one of my investigators on my team came up to me and he's like why are you doing that and I said, well, I just want to make sure that we're safe and maybe, you know, we'll get rid of it. And he was saying, 
why are you doing that? We want something to happen first. You know, we want to get evidence. And I'm like, oh my goodness, these people's having a problem here, you know, and they want to get rid of it. But anyway, that's how it is. You know, that's how a lot of investigators are, you know. It's all about the evidence. But so anyway, while we were there, we got a little bit of a couple a little thing, a little bit of things happening. We were asking questions. We were using dowsing rods, by the way. Um, dowsing rods are these uh, copper uh, uh, little things that they're, they're little wands. They're shaped like an L, and they're what people used to use for what what they call water witching. And they would go around. We would go around with them, and they had they would have a little uh, loose little cylinder around the the handle of them, so that way they could swing freely. You know, when we'd ask questions, so we would say. Um, what is what first we would establish what is what is your yes and then it would either wise open up or close so if it opened up then we'd say what is your no and then it would close so you know we would we would uh, find out you know that before we start asking questions so we would ask questions and and uh next thing you know the door would open you know and and then next thing you know it, it would start to close and you know so we were getting a little bit of activity so it got to where it was getting late and the guy came there. Actually, what he did was he left because, you know, the family was trying to give us the house for the night uh, up until probably around three o'clock is what we told them and um, let us, you know, have a run of the house. So they, a couple of them went off. Well, there was a couple that stayed there. It was his grand, the, the girl's grandmother and mother. They were sitting on the porch watching the monitor systems, you know, of the cameras that we had set up. And so he came, he finally come back and he asked me, he says, what's going on? And we told him and he says, well, why don't you let me go in there with you? Because whatever it is, it doesn't like me, you know, maybe it'll react if I'm in there. And we were like, oh man, you're going to get, you know, what if it throws you or does something, you know? And he was like, no, it's okay. You know, I'm here all the time, you know? So we're like, well, he is, he's always here. So what's it, what's it, what's it, what's it matter? You know? So we let him go in there with us and, and uh, my daughter and me was sitting on the bed. And so I had the handheld uh, camcorder and my daughter was like right behind me. So uh, the other investigator that was going to use the dowsing rods, he was sitting across from me. And then the man was standing next to him facing, facing me and him, you know, kind of watching what the dowsing rods did and all this. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So he started asking the questions and he was asking it like uh, he was trying to provoke it. And he was like, uh, you know, do you like, I'll just say Dawn because I don't want to use a real name. And uh, do you like Dawn? And it, and it said no. <laughs> and then he says, uh, are you afraid of Dawn? And it said no. And so he finally asked the, the last question. It was, it, was, it was like he was really provoking it. And he says, so why don't you come out so I can kick your and next thing you know, this dowsing rod come back like really swift, you know, and then we could hear like a little bit of, uh, and, and I didn't hear it to my naked ear, you know, uh, while it happened. It was actually on the recorder that I heard it afterwards, but there was a light little growl. And next thing you know, I mean, Dawn just went, <laughs> I mean, it happened so fast and so hard. You know, we, we thought, honestly that something hit the outside of the house like a car or, or a plane i mean it, it was that loud it was so loud you know wow. 
And um, so this guy, he what happened was he was facing this way. And next thing you know, when we turned the light on to see what happened, because it was dark, and you know, we were kind of I was looking through the infrared camera, and with the infrared, you could see, you know, at nighttime. So I could see the uh the one doing the dowsing rods, and then I barely could see the, you know, something move next to him when it happened. So I turned the light on and there he is. He's turned around all the way around and he's laying up against the wall like this. And the, there was a file cabinet right between him and the wall. The file cabinet had a big dent in it. And um, so he was laying there and next thing you know, he starts crying. Now this is a big guy, he seemed like somebody that would be prideful and not, you know what I mean? Not sure. showing his feelings in front of people or anything, but he started crying. And I was like, oh my gosh, you know? And so, you know, we were talking to him and, and finally we got him up. And once we got him up, he started cussing. And he was like, where are you at? You know, come out now. I mean, he was he was fed up. You know, this thing, it, it was hurting him. I mean, it was attacking him. And so they took him, you know, and tried to get him outside. Well, to back up just a little bit, after he got thrown, we were yelling out the door at the people that was on the porch to come in because we didn't know, we thought we was going to need help. We didn't know if we was going to need an ambulance or what, but they came in. Well, it took a few seconds, it took a few minutes for them to come in. And when they finally, when they come in there, what happened was they told us that the grandmother had just got thrown off the porch. So wow. not only did it throw him, but it threw the grandmother off the front porch. So this was supposedly the spirit of a little girl. Uh, because when we came there to do the preliminary investigation and we, you know, was asking questions and everything, the young lady that lived there, now I think she was probably around 16, 17 years old. Uh, she, all of a sudden, she was going into trances is what she would do, uh, which actually looking back at it all, that was probably what was inviting something in. But she was doing these trances and stuff. And all of a sudden she would act like a young girl that was being abused by her father. And she ran into the closet and she was like, sitting there and she was acting like he was doing stuff to her and, and you know, and all this. So she would tell us it's, it's Amanda. I think that was the name of it. That the spirit's name is Amanda. She's only, I forget how old, maybe five or something like that. She told us uh, years old and, you know, she was killed here and by her father and all this stuff. So we believed that it was the spirit of a little girl, but after it was thrown, it made me think because there's one thing that the paranormal community does agree upon, most of them, is that sometimes demonic spirits will pretend to be the spirit of a little girl or somebody vulnerable that you would have pity on. You know what I mean? Like maybe a woman that was trying to get away from her husband or some an evil man in the house was keeping her there and she couldn't leave. She was trapped, you know, stuff like that. So we thought. I was thinking to myself, you know, what if, you know, how do we know that if sometimes that's the case, how do we know that's not always the case? Or running at it. Back in episode four, ironically, or perhaps not so much, author Mark Hunneman 
actually had a demonic encounter when he was writing his book, Seeing Ghosts Through God's Eyes, a book meant to expose the connection between ghosts and demonic deception. Number one, I said I had that experience in the park, right? Secondly, while I was writing the book, I was sitting in a chair similar to what I'm sitting in now, kind of an easy chair. And I was leaning forward like this, probably halfway through the book. And it was probably two o'clock in the morning. I wrote from midnight, 10 o'clock at night until about six in the morning. And um, I was at peace. I was enjoying, I loved writing, but just out of the blue, it was like something pumped fear inside of me. I, I wasn't afraid of anything. There was nothing to be afraid of, but it was like an outside force was pumping fear, a cloud of fear on top of me. And then all of a sudden I was slammed back. It was like an invisible hand on my chest. I was slammed back in, wow. in my chair. And I won't repeat to your audience what, the, the voice then said to me, but there was a uh, audible voice to the left, my left ear that said, Mark, you are, and it went on to um, cuss me out. Worse after that, the depression, the sightings, I started- Back in episode 39, author Jason December showed us with his experiences that demonic deception is not exclusive to just the ghost phenomenon but also extends to the alien and UFO phenomenon as well. All of which, again, showing that Christianity is truth and Jesus is the only way. The night that I was, um, it's probably a week before the end, uh, My I was playing bass in my living room and we had a pool that separated my window. If I looked outside my living room window, there was the pool and then directly across was an apartment that had a patio and then they would face us. We're looking at each other. I remember I was playing my bass that night and I had the blinds open and the slider open and I looked up and I saw four entities with my eyes, no phone, nothing. And they were dancing, literally dancing to the music that I was playing. And they, the only way I can describe them is they were between two to three feet tall. And they had these like, they were just, they were horrible looking, but they had these like tentacles that would hang down like off their faces. And they were a little bit different and a little bit different size. And I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. I finally was seeing something with my real eyes. It was, it was, it was ridiculous. It scared the living shit out of me, excuse me, but it, it, it scared me so much. It was, it was, I couldn't, I, I couldn't even stop playing. I was watching it and the feeling and the thought was going through my mind. I put down the bass. I obviously ran towards, I didn't look again. I shut the blinds. I shut the door. My girlfriend came home with groceries. I got her inside. And that's when things in accompanying that experience, we were having supernatural ev events and things happening in the home that were so over the top that the only way to describe it is that I was being targeted. And if people out there don't know what that is, look it up. I was, it was like a, like an MK ultra experience. I, I felt like I was, I felt like I was being monitored and I felt like I was some test, some test patient and that I, they, they were doing some, some, somebody was doing something to me. I was completely full of paranoia at that time. A few days later, my wife needed to go to spend some time with her sister in Arizona and I was going to be left alone. And, um, that's the night when things changed. 
I uh, was about, I was sitting in the living room and she was going to be gone for two days. And it was about, I think 1130 or 12, maybe, maybe close to midnight. I had the blind shut, was watching television. I had a light on. The kitchen was to my left. TV was in front of me. And to my right was the sliding glass door. All of a sudden, I looked to my right, and within six feet of me, through the blinds, I see eyes. The size of those eyes that I had seen the, pre the previous time when I saw those entities. For some reason, I knew in my mind that they were coming in. I didn't know how they were going to get in, but they were, here to, they were here to talk to me or like I communicate with me. I knew for sure. Um, and I literally went into fight or flight mode. I where how you got in our apartment, there's no way I could have gotten out the front door without passing them. So I was kind of locked in and I started screaming. I didn't know what else to do. We we knew the neighbor lived next door to us, Rudy, and he knew some of the things were happening and I'm really loud. I'm really I could be really, really loud. I started screaming. And I'm screaming and I'm screaming and I'm screaming. And I knew that this was the end. I, I my heart was pounding so fast. I knew I was gonna have a heart attack. I, I was sure of it in my mind. It's like you're gonna you're gonna die because you're not gonna you're not go once these things either manifest through the glass or they or however this happens, whatever's gonna happen, you can't handle it. You were not created to handle this type of experience. So I was going to have a heart attack and I was screaming, I was crying. I was in the worst, it was the worst terror I'd ever experienced in my entire life life i've been to some really sketchy experiences before i mean this was over the top and it was just it was just you're gonna die right now at the moment i alex the moment i just felt like i was gonna take my last breath i looked up I, I cried out i remember going jesus i go jesus please god jesus just as loud for no one to have heard me screaming and crying that night would be impossible so I was in some type of a, of a, of a Oz factor. I was in some type of, of a bubble. I truly believe I was in those bubbles many times, but um, there's no way no one would have heard me. Nevertheless, I looked to my left for some reason, and I see a figure of Jesus Christ, the way that people would think of him in a robe with a brown belt around his thing. And he's, he's, he's not standing six feet, but he's like floating. He's probably, it looked like a um, hologram. And he's, I see his profile and he's looking and these two entities, which looked like Bitmojis, were crouched down below him, like fearful of him. They could barely look at him. And I'm looking at this scene and I'm like, are you kidding me right now? Like, this is, this is I'm just like, this is too much. It's just too much. So I look down and I go, okay, you're, this, this isn't happening. I remember going like this with my eyes and I looked back and he was still there. As I saw him the second time, his profile and his and his figure i looked to my right the eyes were gone from the um from the things were gone from the window they were standing right there looking in and i dropped to my knees and i remember crying and every single fear i had ever had everything i'd ever felt through from 2013 through may of 2016 was gone. Um, his wife was taking him to this little church. Where One of the most interesting things about Christianity and the supernatural is that when you present compelling 
supernatural evidence that shows that Christianity is real to non-believers, many times they will just dismiss the evidence outright, no matter how compelling the evidence is. Back in episode 13, author, researcher, and MUFON director Joseph Jordan found this out, again as it relates to the alien and UFO abduction phenomenon, and how it ties to demonic deception and Jesus and Christianity being truth. Trying to learn to be what a Christian is. Brand new. And then he has this experience one night. It got dark. He was seeing lights over the tree line where he was at. Very, Like I said, very rural area. His dogs started barking. They were agitated. He was thinking maybe, you know, those lights must be drug or helicopters looking for drugs or something in the woods, which they do a lot of in Florida. But he didn't make nothing of it. Quieted his dogs down, went ahead and went to bed. When he went to sleep, he had this dream, what he thought was a dream, and it was absolutely horrific. And the dream was of an experience, abduction experience. And there was a point in the experience that was very painful. He felt like he was being held up on a pole, shoved up his rectum. And he was in sheer agony and pain and fear. And the only thing that could come to mind was what they had told him in that little church. Jesus is there to protect you. If you're ever in need of something, you cry out, Jesus, help me. So as a last resort, only thing that could come to his mind was what that what they told him. He says he called out, Jesus, 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 or Jesus, help me. And immediately, instantly, he was dropped into the bed and woke up. His wife woke up. Experience abruptly stopped. Gone. Period. Blink of an eye. And we're sitting there looking at this testimony. I'm going, do you remember this? And my partner says, I have no idea what we just watched. And we're either seeing something that is made up mistaken or I don't know what or maybe it was real we had no answer for it but we did know I knew that if this was real this was huge because I told you that the secular realm has no answer to whether this can be stopped or not they say it cannot everything that they had put out in the research that we had consumed to help protect these people told us that the experience could not be stopped. Everything. All the publications. So here I am puzzled by a testimony that we have where a guy stopped his experience while it was happening. And even more, how he did it. So I'm like, I don't know if this is real or not. But I know this would be huge if it is. To the whole community. Because this backs up what the Lord showed me, that this is not real, and it's demonic. And they have to respond to that name. Scripture tells us that. So my only hope was to get an answer someplace from somebody else that knows this stuff. So I contacted the leading researchers in the realm. I got their phone numbers. I called them up. I said, guys, I got this unusual case here. I wonder if you could help me with it. Sure, tell me what you got. So I shared a story with him. After each one 
sharing the story, they all ask the same thing. Did we go off the record? Meaning, I can't tell you who said what, but I can tell you what they said. I said, fine with me. I'm just asking for some help here. I said, I can respect your anonymity. I move on. That's a requirement that if somebody asks for anonymity, we have to give it to them by law. And I said, I'm bound by that. So no problem. I'm not going to reveal what who says this. Just help me out. And their answer was, all of them, the answer was, we had come across very similar cases where people had prayed during the experience, hum a Christian hymn, recited prayer, or recited scripture, and the experience stopped. I said, wait a minute. Everything that we have read says it cannot be stopped. And now you're telling me that you've got case histories that have been stopped and all been stopped in this type of manner? And they're saying yes. And I said, well, my next question is, why have you never shared this? The answer that they gave me was, we didn't know what to make of it. And you know what? I could have walked away right there and been fine with that answer. No problem. You gave me an honest answer. But they weren't honest. And they knew they weren't. So they gave me another answer to back it up. And that answer was, we were afraid to go there because it might affect our credibility in the UFO realm. Just incredible. What do you call that? Withholding information. These are the people that everybody's relying on for the truth. And yet they're going to withhold information. What is that called? That's a cover-up. That's right. But yet they put all of the cover-up on the government. But yet the cover-up all along has been through the leading researchers in the UFO community. Because they want this UFO picture to look a certain way. But if you don't bring all the pieces to the table, all the puzzle pieces to the table, you're never going to get a full picture anyway. And I think that's what they're up to. This is why we don't have answers. Because they're not willing to bring all the pieces to the table. Oh, I'm dead. Of course, one of the most compelling pieces of evidence that points towards Christianity being true is that when people get involved in these different New Age, alien abduction, or paranormal types of phenomena, there's often a need for deliverance of the demonic out of an individual. Back in episode 15, author Ivani Greppi shared her deliverance testimony as she was involved heavily in the occult and Ubanda spiritism. Even the children, my kids who, who were pre, my daughter was 11, my son was 13, 14, maybe 14 at the time. And they were, they were feeling and hearing things in the house and they would not go in my room. I didn't know this until later that they refused, they were petrified to go in my room by themselves because they felt like a, a horrible force there, something that was not good and we didn't believe in you know we didn't believe in demons or anything like that 
So, and there were a lot of noises uh, that happened throughout the night uh, and it kept getting worse, you know, especially after the pastor came, uh, there were like things falling, breaking and you could wake us, everybody up and we couldn't find anything. Just crazy stuff kept happening. And my, my husband said, can you at least come and pray, you know, and bless the house because we were still in that, you know, mentality that, you know, the, there's contamination and you know bad spirits need to go good spirits need to stay so he came the pastor came to my house after a lot of you know conversation yes no I didn't want anything to do with him he came and my son saw this happen again it happened again and I think this time was worse and but I wasn't willing to give it up I, I didn't believe that it was bad I believed that that was my spirit guide and that he was the one fooling everybody. But after he left, my, my son was horrified. And my nephew, too. My nephew experienced it. My nephew said that his like hairs on his arm just stood on end because I looked at them. They were upstairs, like on the, leaning over the stairs, looking at what was happening downstairs while the pastor was preaching, praying. And my, my nephew said that I just looked up at them with these like black eyes and just mouthed to them, help me. And I don't remember this, but... You know, it was the demon messing with them. And um, my son and my nephew said, please, you know, do whatever this pastor is saying because it was scary and they described it to me. And every time my nephew would tell me his arm, his hair would just stand on end. And so finally, there were other things that happened, but finally God showed me that I needed to, it, it got to the point that I knew that this, whatever it was, it was not good. It was harming me, it was harming my family and I needed to get rid of it. And the only way to get rid of it was through Christ. So, you know, there was preparation for deliverance. Uh, he asked, I, I can't say that I had converted yet because I was still being possessed and I was still oppressed and I still kind of held on to that. It was still hard for me to let go and I was doing it kind of forcibly at the time and but then at the same time I was it, it was very confusing it it was scary because the my family had converted uh they were com on they were new Christians they were learning and they didn't even know how to pray and we didn't know anything about the Bible but he had everybody pray and fast and he didn't want anybody in my house except myself him and his and his wife and then my sister was allowed to come and I didn't know my sister was there throughout the, the this process but it was the same thing so he and his wife started praying for me when they arrived and before they arrived I was so um, influenced by the spiritual being this demon that I literally decided that I wasn't going to stay in the house and I picked up my keys and I ran out to open the door. And when I opened the door, he was already standing there. I was, it, it was like run, run, run. You know, it was really telling me to get out. And so when, when they came in, everybody, like I said, everybody, I was fasting too. That was the first time I ever fasted in my life. I had no idea what fasting was. I mean, we did it for certain events with the uh, Umbanda, but, you know, I never knew that other people did it. So, but this was complete fasting, you know, 24 hours before, and I couldn't pray. I, he had given me a Bible, I couldn't read it. You know, it, it was, it was impossible for me to read it. 
And so when they started praying again, I became possessed. And it was, I think it was five o'clock in the afternoon when it started, about five. And I just remember glimpses of what happened. I remember, you know, once I became possessed that I was going through the house and grabbing things that were, um, I had everything you can imagine, uh, occult in my house that had been um, consecrated to the demons that I worshiped. So I remember kind of going through drawers and, you know, pulling things out. I even remember going in the backyard and digging the dirt because I had buried, I mean, this is crazy, but I had buried one of the, the saints upside down. This was to, you know, to sell the house or just crazy things that we did. Um, everything you can imagine, you know, uh, besides this, I, we can talk later about other things that I practiced that I believed in, you know, palm reading and tarot cards and all that stuff. So I had all that stuff in my house. I had books, I had CDs, I had uh, images, um, the beads, whatever you can imagine. It was all over my house, saturated, things on the wall. So the whole process was going through and, and clearing this. And this demon refused to go. It was, a, it was a big battle. And most of what I got, like I said, I had glimpses, kind of like in a dream, remembering, I remember some things. Clearly, other things I don't remember at all, because my sister was there, and of course the pastor and the wife, his wife. They told me later what happened, but the the craziest thing that happened was when the spirit was cast out, and I remember the yelling of you know the pastor saying in in the, in the name of Jesus Christ, get out, and it was the final because I, he was trying throughout this time throughout the deliverance uh, process. He was trying and the demon refused to, to leave. It was um, my entire life, you know, it was. So when he yelled that, this is, a, I remember this clearly that I felt my body kind of like go up and not kind of, my body went up in the air backwards like this. And it was wow. in the hallway. I had a long hallway and I, I felt my body just flying backwards and it flew a few feet back like this. And I felt when I fell, you know, I, on my back. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to crash my, my head on the tile. It was all tile. It, it, it was so crazy. Um, because Alex, I, I can't even tell you, I fell. And as soon as I fell, something was just like exploded, like out, like, I, I never felt, I opened my eyes, I'm still laying down on the floor and I looked up and I'm looking around and literally my entire life, I, there was like this veil that was like, I, everything was kind of like dark that was lifted and, I, and it was, I, I never saw so much brightness in my life, so much color in my life. It was, it was, uh, I, I just looked around like, and I felt so light, I felt so happy and I accepted Christ, of course, and I just never, oh, so I looked at the clock. And when I looked at the clock, it was two o'clock in the morning. So eight hours had passed. Wow. And I swear, I mean, God is my witness. I know I'm not supposed to, to swear but to God, but God is my witness that 
throughout this time, when I opened my eyes, I figured it had been about two hours. You feel the time pass, you know, when you're, no, I, I could not believe eight hours that all this took eight hours. And normally it doesn't normally, you know, people are delivered with a prayer. It, it happens differently, just like in the Bible, just like these examples that I gave you. You know, Jesus does everybody. He does. He doesn't have a format. He doesn't have a formula to, you know, this prayer, do this, do that, use this, do that. No, he he delivers us. He heals us the way he wants to do it and the way that he needs to do it. You know, I know I've got an issue, but I'm trying to play it off and be Mr. Cool and kind of like. One of the most important parts of all this is not just the supernatural encounter in and of itself, but the takeaway behind the encounter. What did the person learn from their supernatural experience? One of the most memorable takeaways from all the episodes so far goes all the way back to episode one, when Tim had an incredible near-death experience, but it was the takeaway, the lesson learned from the experience, that I remember the most. As I lean back, I am just instantly, I'm outside, I'm to my right here. My body falls back wow. into the golf cart and I'm sitting, <laughs> you have to excuse me, I guess mm -hmm. it's a little emotional, but uh, I just remember, you know, that I was just, I was in a lot of stress and dizzy, you know, just not, didn't feel good, nauseous, mm -hmm. just really bad. And then just in the split second, man, I was, I was outside and I see my body and my body is still leaning back. As as my body leans completely back in the back, it's like this burst, this white light just comes out because I could see everybody and everything around me for that. This is all just happened in just a couple seconds. So it was just this bright light and it just, uh, it just surrounded me. But then there was like this wall, which I call a veil. It was just like the light was so thick and I couldn't, I couldn't see through it. But I, there was people over there, and I could, I could see movement, uh, like people were there. It was just some colors, but I could really, I could feel their presence. It's hard to explain, but mm -hmm. I just knew there were people there, and I knew they were there for me. I don't, and, and I know, I knew that they loved me, mm -hmm. and um, I didn't hear any, any voices, as far as like a sound or audible voices. But it was the best way I can describe is it was somebody's uh, like somebody else's thoughts were put into my head. Uh, but anyway, I had that. It was, I had this. Uh, it was kind of like I was just reminded of what I had just come through, what had just happened to me, and um, I was then told or another download of that. You know, none of that matters, that the only thing in this life that matters is what we do for the kingdom of God. Wow. And then I was just kind of like, yeah. And uh, and then uh, then I was given what I call a life review. It was just, um, it was basically just um, uh, the amount of time I've been here. And of that time, how much of it was spent for the kingdom of God. And... Um, I just remember thinking, what a waste. And I knew at this point, I just knew that my time on earth was, was gone, was, was over. I didn't look at it as I was dead necessarily, but I knew what that meant. But, um, 
I just knew my time on earth was over and it was just like, that was okay. Um, and I, um, there was just things I just, I just, I guess you just say, so you just kind of knew cause it was like, I just, it just dawned on me, you know, that like when I, in my video, the video I talked about that I knew the Bible was real. It was like, I just knew it was real. It's like, I just, just kind of like, I just remembered or, or whatever where, you know, whereas in life and I, I, you know, I believed in God, I believed in Jesus. It's what I would have told you. And I, and I did believe in him, but I, I guess there was some doubt there because in this life, this reality that we feel right now is nothing. It's very dull compared to what you feel wherever I was. You um, speak to somebody who may be on a similar path as or kind of in episode 48. Michelle, who was formerly in the New Age, had a really insightful message for those who are still spiritually seeking themselves. That's a tough one. Um, because I understand where people are coming from and I understand the desire to feel acceptance and to feel love from everything that I've experienced in the different paths that I've walked. Um, I would just tell someone, I would ask someone really to just give God a chance. Um, not saying people have to instantly join Christianity, um, but give God a chance, a relationship with the Lord, uh, get to know Jesus and what he did for you, because all of these other paths, these spiritual paths, while they seem enticing now, and you may have good experiences now, it's temporary and a lot of it falls away. And in the end, what matters is your spirit. And where do you want to be? Do you want eternal salvation? Do you want um, uh, an eternity of joy and peace? Or do you want to let the world suck you into the work of the enemy and lose that opportunity to have true joy and peace, to have true eternal life with someone that loves you more than you could ever imagine, somebody that gave their life for you to save you. And I would just ask them to give that a chance. You know, your life may be hard right now. You may feel like nobody on this earth loves you. You may be searching for healing the way that I was. And the only true rest that you will get is with the Lord. If you just give him a chance and just get to know him, you know, pray about it, read the Bible if you can, um, and just go into it with an open mind and an open heart. Because if you're already open to the new age path or spirituality, uh, just be open to God, you know, and just give that a chance. Because if, if you can stop where you're at now, and prevent yourself from facing demonic attacks, um, demonic oppression, or digging yourself into a hole that you may not get out of. If you could <clears throat> stop now and give God a chance, it's worth it. Struggling through 
through life and, and just didn't have, couldn't find any fulfillment anywhere. And finally, Kimberly, back in episode 26, shared a really incredible message that comes back to our individualized relationships with God that she would share with her past self and by way of that, share with other people that are in the same shoes that she was in. You know, it is very surreal where I am. I did not expect to... People describe me as on fire for the Lord. I'm very zealous. Um, it is definitely surreal surreal to have come full circle uh, as far out. Because, again, I, I grew up watching a lot of movies. And I have always loved stories. And I just think the what I believe in, right, which is the gospel and that the Bible is true. My favorite uh, genre of film before was sci-fi. It's science fiction, but I just liked the the craziness of those films, like just the far out mind boggling storylines of it. Um, I just feel like the reality that I now live in is the most far out story anyone could ever believe in. Like, I don't even think like you can't make this stuff up. Like you just can't. Right. Um, right. And the fact that you know the, the whole saying like truth is stranger than fiction, like that's so true. Like again, Jesus is the Son of God, but is was also one hundred percent human, but was also one hundred percent God. Is God, but is also separate from God. And he point is, is he came down after having so many prophecies told about him before his time, like even where he was born. That's something that he can't control. Just so many things and him and dying on the cross and him coming back to life and just believing in that, that that gives me salvation so that I could live. Like that sounds so nuts. And I am acknowledging that and I'm aware of that. And I'm just here to say, friends, that it is beautifully and magnificently true. And it is the best reality to live in because say, say, say you believe in it, right? and you die. And it was all just a big fat story. It's not real. When you actually live as God calls us to live, that's a beautiful way to live. Like you're loving others well, um, you're to the best of your ability, living a life of integrity. That's a great way to live. Um, and there's a lot of beautiful people within the faith, um, but it's also again, about studying the word and and having discernment against which which Christians are, you know, actual actually have a faith or not. But it's just a great great way. But then, say if you die and it's all true, well, thank God you believed in it because <laughs> it's true. So I just like I don't know. Um, but anyways, it is very surreal. But to get to your final question, what would I tell my young self that was fantasizing about death? I'd have to be gentle because she was very fragile. Um, and also I couldn't be too far out because she probably wouldn't be able to grasp it or believe it. She'd probably just dismiss it. So I'd probably say something like, hey, I know what you're going through is really difficult. And I know that life right now really sucks. But I just wanna let you know that if you hang in there and you keep going and following your 
curiosities that there's a huge light at the end of the tunnel and it is so worth it. Mm. Wow. Powerful. I love that. Following your, your curiosities. Yeah. The Lord told me that to, to follow my curiosities. Well, that is it for episode 50, everybody. Thank you for listening. And I hope you enjoyed that trip down memory lane from the first year's worth of episodes as much as I did. And wow, what an assortment of guests and experiences and takeaways from the first year of Spirit Answers podcast. And I certainly couldn't do all that on my own. This is, when I look back on the clips from this episode, it is totally all God. And I'm just so thankful that he was able to line up the right people at the exact right time to come on the podcast and share their testimonies, their knowledge, their wisdom with with not only uh, you, but with me. I, I've learned a ton over the last year. Um, it's just been such an incredible journey, and I'm so thankful that I've been able to uh, share it with you. Um, I just want to say, again, thank you for everything that you've done to support the podcast over the last year. Uh, again, whether that's listening, uh, donating, sharing your testimony, um, sharing, uh, just coming on for an interview, sharing insight with us. I could not do without you. I really appreciate all that you have done over the last year. Um, and if you are, if you're new to this podcast, this, uh, episode 50 being your first one, and perhaps you're new to this Christianity thing, I'm hoping that this was able to at least plant a seed for you that perhaps there is something more to this life than just the physical. There is a supernatural component to life. And as amazing as that is, that supernatural element doesn't happen in a vacuum. It all leads back eventually to Jesus and there being only one way, one way to heaven and one way to truth. And um, if you are still on the fence about that, I hope and pray that you will continue to give us this podcast a chance and use us as a resource just like I said back in episode one with the other spiritual resources that you are using uh, along your journey um, I will be taking next week off I'll be out of town and uh, we will be back in two weeks with a brand new episode again thank you for all you've done to to support the podcast for the last year I hope you will meet us in our Facebook group, Spirit Answers, and I hope that you share your testimony so perhaps you can be on the next uh, compilation episode that we do down the road. Um, I hope you all have a fantastic couple weeks. I'll be praying for you. Take care. Bye-bye.